Hey, can I just say thank you for reaching out to others? Uh, we're one church, three campuses, and a lot of you engaging online as well, but we have a campus in Olmsted Falls and one at Lorraine Correctional and then Middleburg. And I just keep on hearing stories like Johnny up here. Did you hear Johnny? He said, what a power. I love all the testimonies today. Wow. And he said, I had a guy at work who reached out to me, and we hear that happen over and over again. In fact, I want to read a different person who this week, we send out first impression surveys to any newcomer at Grace and just say, hey, how can we do better? What did you find meaningful, et cetera? So this one was, what were your first impressions of Grace? He says, I began attending in September 2023 with a friend. I noticed a change in him and realized I needed to explore more. It has been an amazing experience to be at Grace and it changed my life. I look forward to the weekly services. What did you find most meaningful? I'm learning so much and appreciating God's grace. I feel welcomed as part of your community. Isn't that encouraging? Um, one of the big factors, he said, I noticed a change in my friend and realized I needed to explore more. It's the power of living a contagious life, right? That just makes people ask questions and you go, uh, and then as you have opportunities, somebody says, hey, what makes you tick? Or what is it about you? Or you, even in crisis, you're, you sort of have this sense of like, you know, you don't just descend into like mean attacks on other people or whatever. Aren't you grateful that God uses messed up people? I'll speak for myself. Uh, messed up people like me, maybe a few of you, you go, I'm a little bit messed up as well, right? And that we can say, but God chooses to use very ordinary people to do uh, things that accomplish his purposes despite some of the regrets we might have in life. So our new series is talking about what do you do with regrets? What do you do with guilt? What do you do with some of the challenges that you have in, in your life. And so I want to start by quoting uh, a well-known theologian and uh, very famous. Uh, her name is Kathy, uh, <laughs> as in the comic strip. Anybody remember that if you're really young? But, but Kathy at its height was, she was in 1,400 different newspapers around uh, the nation, around the world. And she hails from the Buckeye State. I mean, so she's like, you know, of course, a lot of good things come out of Ohio, right? So this one time in this one episode, she's uh, having a bad day, and she's sitting at home alone with her thoughts. And here are the thoughts that she's thinking. Oh, the things I should have done at work. Things I wish I'd said to Irving. That was her boyfriend, later her husband. Things I promised myself to never do again, but I did anyway. Ways I made myself miserable that I could have avoided. Her look of depression deepens. Things I could have done for my family, my puppy, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, my finances, my home, my diet, my closets, and millions of people in Needham I've never met. Kathy had a way of dealing with guilt all the time. In the final frame, Kathy summarizes her plight. Even when I'm not going anywhere, I have 300 pounds of luggage with me. I think a lot of us can relate to that, that we can look back in life and say, I'm not even going anywhere, but I just feel the weight of stuff that I've done that I regret. It may be a wound that I inflicted on someone that still haunts me, that I go, I can't believe, like words that cut like a knife, like what was I thinking? Maybe we were dishonest in some way. Or it was anger unleashed at someone that we really care about. For a lot of people my age, it's lingering regret that 
Um, they missed a lot when their kids were growing up. It could be guilt over things we didn't do and we wish we had. For some, it's like a thousand different things that you just go, I just all added up together. I just hear the voices in my head. And, and for some others, it might be a, one or two particular things that go, not even my own f- closest friends know about that. They would be shocked. Here's the question. I think we all can agree that we carry around weight, or at least at some point we have if we, you know, and if we haven't learned how to deal with that, it can be that no one, I can't see your guilt, you can't see my guilt, thank God for that. But we all carry these regrets and this guilt that can feel like we're lugging along and we're weighed down and the voices are just calling on our heads that we're inadequate, that we've messed up and it's condemnation. That's what the Bible calls it. And left unaddressed, like if we don't figure out how to deal with that, it devastates our relationship with God and really it impacts negatively the people around us as well. Some of us have gotten so used to carrying this weight and shame that it almost becomes normal. And we're just like, well, I, I, just, I mean, what else do you do? You got regret, right? I mean, you just deal with it, I guess. But what if we could be free? What if we could say, it's not that I'm dismissing what, what I did was terrible, or I really felt regret over that, but I don't own it anymore. What if we could walk out of here today with a reminder that I don't have to carry that luggage anymore of guilt? I want us to look at that today because that is the wonder of what God has done for us. So we're going to check out the gospel according to, what's the name of the book? Leviticus. Some of you are going, Leviticus. Leviticus gets a really bad rap. But if you have your paper Bible or you've got your phone and you can turn with me to Leviticus chapter 13, the name of the book comes from the tribe of the Levites, who were the tribe of had all the religious duties, and, and it tells, you know, they're sort of the protocol for what they're supposed to be doing. And we just finished reading the book of Leviticus in our Bible reading there called The Full Story. And uh, some of you might go, I was supposed to finish it, but I actually, the road of Bible reading plans is littered with people who never made it past Leviticus, right? And today, I would like us to be able to say, how do you interpret that book? Because a lot of times you read through and you go, it's sort of harsh, a lot of laws, it's sort of confusing, it feels totally distant. We're like, say what? Like, what is this book about? And why are there so many things we don't even follow in it? Which we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But it can seem sort of boring or harsh. Or So what's the key to interpreting the book? Here it is. Here it is. Ready? Leviticus is not a destination it's a signpost. It's a signpost. Would you say that word with me? Ready? Signpost. It's a signpost that points ahead to something that would happen 1,500 years later that would absolutely rock the world in a really positive way. Leviticus is a signpost. It answers a number of questions or it tells us about the history of things like why were sacrifices needed? Leviticus tells us why. Why is there so much blood? Why is blood needed in forgiveness? We find the answer in Leviticus. 
Remember when Jesus died and he's, he, he breathes his last, says, it is finished, and he takes his final breath, and the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. Where did that come from? That's in Leviticus. Or how about the phrase scapegoat? Anybody say, oh, I was a scapegoat. I was. You know where that word finds its origin? In the book of Leviticus. We're going to see how. At all points, all of these things point forward to Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself uh, saw it that way. And he's, at one occasion, he's talking to these two guys the very day that Jesus comes back to life. And he's walking on this road to a town called Emmaus. And uh, he catches up with these two guys. They don't recognize him. Maybe it was dark or maybe this were like, you know, Jesus is dead. Or the fact maybe is that God just didn't want them to see at first. But anyhow, they, they're telling them about it. Jesus died and all the rest. And, and Jesus begins to talk to them about the Old Testament scriptures. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that is the first five books of the Bible, that's Moses, all the prophets, that's the rest of the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And that includes Leviticus. Jesus saying, hey guys, remember Leviticus, all of the stuff about sacrifices? That was talking about me. That was a signpost pointing ahead to, to me. You know what's interesting is in uh, today's church, Leviticus is like the last book we turn to. In fact, I've never done a series on Leviticus, but in Jewish synagogues, it's the first book that children are taught. And so to correct our mistake, I'm beginning today, I wanted to announce just with excitement, a 52-week series. No, I'm just teasing. We're not, no, no, we're not going to do that. Not at all. We're going to do a few weeks in this book and just say, let's highlight a few themes and to see how do you handle the guilt that can weigh you down in life? How, how do you deal with this, this, all this baggage of stuff that can hold you back in your relationship with God? So I'm glad you're here. And uh, as we dig in, and uh, just want to let you know that uh, the app, the Grace app, is going to have some extra resources uh, about this series. I think it's the first time we're doing this, but they're going to be downloading some things tomorrow night. And you see at the top right there, it says Clean. That's the new series uh, and resources. And there's going to be some like study guides and prayers and other things. And you'll find the message notes there. In fact, that's always available. A few thousand people have downloaded that. And uh, you'll see the fill-in notes at the bottom right there for the message today and the weekly bulletin, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the ways to catch the themes of Leviticus is to see words that appear over and over again in the book. In fact, the words you see on the screen here and, and, uh, and right there are words that are mentioned in Leviticus more than they're mentioned in any other book in the Bible. In fact, some of those words are mentioned more in Leviticus than all the other books of the Bible combined. And so, for instance, the word clean is mentioned 57 times in Leviticus. Blood is mentioned 65 times. I could have added guilt mentioned 49 times in Leviticus, more than any other book, because the theme here is how do we get rid of the guilt that harasses us, that we have a, God is holy and we're not, and there's this big chasm between us. How do we overcome that? And that's what we're going to see today, and it really is to me, just a reminder that we have such amazing news. Before we look at Leviticus 16, just one more slide. It's the flow of Leviticus. It sort of is the outline. It's in your notes that maybe you got on your way in. You'll find them on the app as well. But you'll see how the book begins there, the lower left side, uh, with rituals, chapters 1 to 7. We're going to see today the five different kinds of offerings. 
And then it goes up, and there are some instructions for priests in chapters 8 to 10. And then ritual purity, some things that we go, that's the really confusing part of Leviticus, and why don't we follow those things anymore? We're going to talk about that. It's not just because we don't like it, it's because, well, we'll see. Uh, why we don't is because the New Testament gives us freedom from that. And then the Day of Atonement, and then you come back to purity again, then priests, and then the rituals down at the bottom. But today we're going to focus on that top part. Right at the center of the book is this Day of Atonement. In Hebrew, it is Yom Kippur. Yom is day. Kippur is atonement, covering, ransom. And it was this one day a year happening that was this huge event when forgiveness was provided. And it was an elaborate series of steps that you had to follow just right. And if you didn't, look what happens, beginning with verse 2 here in Leviticus chapter 16, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, that's like the most inner sanctum of the tabernacle, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, ark of the covenant, or else he will what? Serious stuff, right? God is holy and we're not. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover, and this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And it wasn't just for his own sin. Everyone was guilty. It was like a giant infection that was pervasive. In fact, in, back in Leviticus 4, uh, verse 27, we read this. It says, if any of the common people sin by violating one of the Lord's commands, but they don't realize it, they're still guilty. You know what that means? If before I talked about luggage, and I'm just going to be transparent here, but if you're like, I don't feel that at all. I have never felt guilt. Like, I feel awesome. I don't think I've ever done anything wrong. Seriously, wrong. This is talking about you here. You're guilty. You're just not aware of it. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, it says, for all have what? Sin. We've all messed up. We all have regret and guilt. And we all fall short of God's standard, His glory. And and so back in that day, uh, unless your guilt was taken care of, you couldn't experience God. And so the question for them and for us is, how do you get free from the guilt and shame that weighs us down? That God is holy and I'm not. And if I can't bridge that gap, like I'm never going to experience the presence of God and his welcome and be part of his family, which is what I was made for. You can enjoy certain aspects of life, but until you have a relationship with God, the Bible says we were made by him and we were made for him. And until I'm in relationship with God, even my greatest accomplishments are just going to have a sense of like, that was good, but I feel still sort of empty. Like what's, what else is there? So how do we get to know God? You know, if we even see where the book of Leviticus comes in the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch, five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just before Leviticus is the book of Exodus. And Exodus ends with all this elaborate instruction and, um, and then construction of the tabernacle, this ornate tent that was 
right in the center of Israel. You see a picture of it right there. And that's where the presence of God was located. I want to read the last five verses of Exodus, and I want you to see where is Moses in this description, okay? Here's what it says, last five verses, if you're following along, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained there where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night, this was quite a scene, fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued through all their journeys. What a sight. It might have been like this. Right in the middle of the camp, you have the tabernacle there, and you're like, what is that in the background? Scholars say that there was probably two million people in Israel at that time. Imagine going to Mohican State Park, and there's two million people gathered. That's what the, all those, they're, they're by tribes all the way around the tabernacle, right at the center is this presence of God. And where is Moses? Inside or Outside. Outside. That's how Exodus ends. The book just after Leviticus is the book of Numbers. The very first verse of Numbers, look what it says. Where is Moses now? The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month. So here's the question. How does Moses get from the outside to the inside? How does he go from the place of I'm not able to do it to I'm able to do it that is the book of Leviticus. How can you and I experience and be welcome in God's presence? How do we deal with failures in our lives and sin so that we can be forgiven and know God personally? Summary, you brought an offering. You brought an offering. That was God's plan. So back in Leviticus chapter 4 again, here's what it says. It says this, if someone brings a lamb as their sin offering... In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed, and they will be what? Forgiven. What did they bring? They brought a lamb. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. Here is the point. It was all about forgiveness. God designed us for friendship with him, and so he graciously removes anything that comes between us, guilt to be removed. And so the first seven chapters, if you page through the first seven chapters of Leviticus, you're going to see that it's all about these sacrifices. There's five kinds uh, of sacrifices. We saw them earlier. I'll just go through these again. You'll see them on the screen. The first three were ways of saying thank you to God. You had the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. And there's a phrase that keeps on being repeated. It was an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It was like, God, we're just, we want to do something to let you know we honor you. We thank you, God. We love you. The next two sacrifices, the sin offering and the guilt offering, were ways of saying, I'm sorry, receiving forgiveness. It was the way that God was able to get rid of evil without getting rid of us. Let me say that again. A sacrifice was a way for God to get rid of evil without getting rid of us. And this is where sacrifices came in. They were substitutes. It was a way for Israel to know with confidence that they could live in God's presence. They had peace. They, they didn't have to fear that they were going to be struck down. They were forgiven. 
And it was all because when they brought a sacrifice, God said, it's that animal's blood for yours. Their life for your life. It wasn't something that people achieved. It was something they what? They received. They received forgiveness from God. And that becomes the gospel all the way through that we, we can't earn our forgiveness. We can't try hard enough to somehow overcome our guilt. We just go, God, we receive from you uh, this gift of forgiveness. There's a lot more we could say on that. But let me just say again, Leviticus is a what? It's a signpost pointing forward. And the people in that day would have wondered, they would have said, what will it be like when God someday deals with our sin once for all? What did they bring for a sacrifice? Many times a lamb, right? Fast forward 1,500 years from Leviticus. 1,500 years to a little town in Israel called Bethlehem. And there's a little boy who's born in a stable and his parents are told, you'll name him Jesus because he'll save his people from what? From their sins. He grows up. John the Baptist sees him and he goes, look, there's the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see how Leviticus was a signpost pointing forward to a lamb who would one day come and would be the ultimate sacrifice that would deal with our sin and our guilt. Friends, Jesus rocked the world in the best way possible. I mean, he did. It was just, it was incredible what he did. And here's what I want us to see. If Leviticus is a signpost pointing forward to this lamb of God, why is the forgiveness of Jesus and his sacrifice so much better than what happened in Leviticus. I want us to, if you look at your notes, if you have those, either on the app or maybe you got the piece of paper on the way in, I want us to just do a quick compare and contrast, but let me just read the New Testament equivalent of Leviticus. You have Leviticus in the Old Testament, sort of its twin book in the New Testament is the book of Hebrews. Sort of like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, the twin is sort of the book of James. And so, and there's a number of, uh, you know, parallels like that. But let me just read one, a uh, couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 9. And, and here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance, that's heaven, that God has promised them, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed." It's comparing and saying, this is what happened, and this is so much better. How much more? Jesus. So let's do a quick compare and contrast between Leviticus and the sacrifice of Jesus. Again, you'll see this in your notes. Back then, the place where you went for your forgiveness and you offered a sacrifice was the tabernacle, right? It was the picture we saw earlier, and you went, and they had this altar outside, and it was sort of a holy place. Today, what do we do today? We look back at what happened on a hill called what? 
Calvary, outside the city of Jerusalem. It's a place you can still visit today. And, and it's the place where the greatest act of forgiveness, the most amazing gift ever, was given. Not a holy building, but a hill. Next, in Leviticus, the high priest would carefully enter the most holy places, inner sanctum of the tabernacle, on your behalf, sort of by proxy. And the person was always a Levite, a son of Aaron, which meant that the person was always a sinner. So they had to seek forgiveness for their own stuff first. Uh, you'll see in, back in Leviticus chapter 16 how they, how they did it and the Day of Atonement. It, it says this, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, verse 6, um, offering to make atonement for himself and his household. That was then. Today, our high priest, um, Jesus, the Son of God, is sinless, right? The verse at the top of your notes from 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In other words, Jesus never messed up, which means that instead of offering a sacrifice for his own sin, he, he could just go in and say, I'm offering a sacrifice for Jonathan, for Alyssa, uh, for, for Bob, for Jermaine. I'm, I'm offering a sacrifice for next. The old system, you didn't know the high priest who would be because from year to year, from one Yom Kippur to the next Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, you didn't know who was, you know, if the priest was going to die in between. But you come to Jesus, and Jesus offers his own life, like he is the sacrifice and the priest, and he offers himself, and then three days later he comes back to life, and so he is our priest for how long? For Forever, Right? He, we always know it's, it's Jesus. Who is your, he, it's, Jesus is the answer um, for all of the, you know, the problems and the guilt in, in my life. Another contrast, in the old way to release the heavy luggage of guilt, the priest would go in on your behalf and they would go into this, um, you know, most holy place and, and they would take a bowl and the bowl was filled with what? With blood. And you go, why do they have to have so much blood? I've asked that question myself, and I go, I don't know. At some point I go, he's God and I'm not, right? But there was something about sin that brought death. And blood was a way to show that something had died to cover, to be an atonement for sin. So in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Hebrews, it says, Without the shedding of what? A blood, there's no, there's no forgiveness. And so the priest would take a bowl with blood and then they would sprinkle it all, I mean, over. And Jesus comes and what does he do? He, he comes and he says, I'm not just bringing the blood of an animal, but he stretches out his arm on the cross and he sheds his blood for you and for me. And it's this amazing gift, and he gives his life so that you and I could be free. God doesn't ask the high priest to bring a vial of tears. 
He doesn't ask for like sweaty, you know, rags from working out. In other words, it wasn't how sorry you were. You could cry over your sins from here until the end of your life. And all of those tears can't pay for what you've done wrong. Or you could try to sweat it out and say, I'm just going to work harder. If I can just be good enough and do as many good deeds as possible, maybe I can find my forgiveness. No, 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 no. Only what would do? Only, only blood. That's why we sing so often about the blood. Why? Because it was a sacrifice. It was their life for your life. Their blood for your blood. And here was the downside of the old system. The sacrifices never stopped, right? Because they were never ultimately effective. It was just a temporary cleansing. And so you had to sacrifice over and over and over and over again. And I want to say today, thank God that was just a shadow of something far better to come, right? That Jesus would come and he'd be a final sacrifice, a better sacrifice. And Jesus, as the Lamb of God, would mark the end of all animal sacrifices. No longer do you have to slaughter countless animals and sprinkle their blood. Because here's what we read about Jesus, the new way in Hebrews chapter 7. It says this, unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this what? Once for all, when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. I love that. Once for all, it's a done deal. I'm innocent today, right? Not because I've never messed up, not because I've never experienced guilt, but simply because Jesus' blood was shed for me, right? I mean, that's just, friends, that is the best gift ever. Confidence that our sins are washed away, our guilt can be removed, and we no longer have to listen to the voice of condemnation. Do I still have guilty voices coming in my head? Yes, but I can say, you know what? I can just speak to the enemy, whoever it is, and say, I transferred my guilt to Jesus. It's gone. My sins have been removed completely. It's a sacrifice that's so much better. Friends, think about this. You didn't have to carry a lamb into church this morning. Praise God for that, right? You didn't have to carry a bowl of blood. Imagine that, right? We didn't, we didn't have to do that. You didn't have to go through a priest to find your forgiveness. You don't have to come and do confession to me. You can go directly to God. You don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, when you died, you died in my place, and that was a sacrifice that was once what? For all, once for all. Friends, we have it so much better, do we not? During Old Testament times on a festival day in Jerusalem, the noise and the smell of sacrifice, I mean, just sort of picture this. All the animals and the blood and were just these vivid reminders of the gulf between God and his people, that he's holy and we're not. And we just go, but, and then Jesus. Jesus goes to Calvary And everything changes for the better, right? His death removes my guilt. His blood cares for all my sin forever. Friends, we're free, right? We're free. We know our past. We know our past. If if, if you have any sense of, of just clarity about your past, you go, 
I know the things that bring me like the luggage and the shame and the regret and all the rest, but I also know the one who shed his blood so all that can be gone. Amen. I mean, just what a savior we have. Here's my question. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Have you transferred your stuff onto him and said, Jesus, when you died, you died for me. We're going to listen to a couple of stories here in two minutes from people whose sins have been covered. And as we listen, it might be time for you just to say again, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did for me that I live now and not then. Thank you for being a once-for-all sacrifice. Maybe for you, it's time to say, Lord, I've never really dealt with my guilt in that way. I've been trying to work harder. I've just been sorrowful. And I realize now the only way that I'm going to be free is to accept your sacrifice and to receive your forgiveness. I do that today. Let's take a listen and see how these people have been set free.